Welcome to Three Thoughts On. Today we continue our series in resilience, and my guest today is Lisa Smith-Batchen. Lisa is a world-renowned elite ultra-runner, Ironman competitor, and an adventure racer. Lisa has finished dozens of extreme races and is a woman of many firsts. She was the first American to win the Marathon de Sable, which is a stage race through the Moroccan desert. Lisa has not only finished the Badwater Ultramarathon 10 times, but has also won it twice. By the way, the Badwater Ultramarathon is considered to be one of the toughest races in the world, and Lisa is a member of the Badwater Hall of Fame. She is also the first and only person to have run 50 miles a day in 50 states in the United States in 62 days. Lisa is a proven coach and motivator whose knowledge of health, fitness, and nutrition has helped hundreds of individuals achieve their specific goals. She shared some of her stories as an athlete and as a coach. This conversation was certainly inspiring to me, and I hope it is for you as well. And now, Lisa Smith-Batchett. Welcome to Three Thoughts On. Today we continue our series on resilience, and my guest today is Lisa Smith-Batchett. Lisa, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's snowing here in the Grand Tetons. Oh, what a beautiful part of the country. I love that part of the country. Well, it's not snowing here in Orlando, but it's it's a great weather week so far. So I'm thoroughly enjoying being outside and enjoying the cool air. Cool meaning 60s, <laughs> which is cool. It's cool for Florida. Well, thank you for making the time, Lisa. I'm very excited um, about hearing your story. So why don't we get started with a little bit of an introduction on who you are, what's your story, and how did that story unfold to get you to live the life you currently live? Well, I'm 63 years old. I live in Jackson, Wyoming with my husband, Jay, and my two girls, uh, Annabella and Gabriella. But they're both away from home now, so I shouldn't say they live with us anymore, and I miss them terribly. It's uh it's a tough phase being an empty nester. It's taken some serious resilience to adapt to that change for me. Um, I don't really like it that much, let me tell you. I can um, relate. Yeah, I'm sure. How I arrived to where I am today, wow, what a powerful question. Um, you know, things kind of evolve always. Things are always evolving, evolving. Change is constant. There are only two things that we're in control of, and one of them is our actions and our attitude. And my attitude has always been to be in a place of life where sometimes things just fall into your lap, right? Where you have to make choices about which way to go. Do I go left? Do I go right? I'm standing on the ledge. Which way am I going to go? And I think arriving where I've arrived has come with a lot of being spontaneous and simplicity and being very open-minded to um, being vulnerable about where you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to do. 
because I think there are so many options and so many choices out there of how I've gotten where I am today. And I don't really, I'm not the kind of person who looks back and says, look what I've done and look what I've done to get where I am today. I look like what there is to do today, tomorrow, and where I'm heading. Um, And it's continually evolving. I'm continually redefining myself and redefining my purpose and my passion in life. So I don't think that I've arrived yet, to be quite honest, of where I am if that makes sense to you. It makes perfect sense. It is a journey. You, you never really get anywhere. You just take a pause to rest, right? And then you keep going because it is it is it is the journey, not, not a destination, at least for me. Absolutely. It's a journey of, of, of every day of evolving, changing, continuing education, continuing to learn and grow in your faith in whatever it might be. It's all about growth, change, and continuing moving forward. Well, that's fantastic. So you and I have a, a common friend. Uh, that's Joe Tessena from the Spartan Group. He felt that it would it was imperative after I did my interview with him that I would speak with you. I actually asked him, it's like, who should who should I speak with in your circle of people you know, you know through his journey, which was it is still ongoing and quite interesting. And your name came right up. Why did he want me to talk to you? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, Joe DeSena and I go way back. I met Joe um, a long time ago. I was actually his coach for a while, as you know, too. And believe it or not, back then, you know, I could probably kick his butt. I, I would swear, but I won't do that. Um <laughs> So Joe and I met and we sat down in a bar one time in New York City and he wrote out on a napkin, you know, what he wanted to do, what he was looking to do. And we connected again. My husband and I, Jay, went to Vermont to see Joe, to check it out, to consider working with Joe on races and, you know, things like that. that this was all when it was just written on a napkin and it was just a pipe dream. And we decided that Vermont may be just a little too small for us. We brought Joe out to the Tetons where we are. And Joe brought his now wife, Courtney, his father-in-law, and had me and my husband, we put them through a massive boot camp. And it was, you know, we participated in all of this because Joe's like, I, you know, she can't keep up with me. She can't do this. She can't. (laughs) And I'm like, all right, Joe, let's go. Let's do this. I mean, from snowshoeing to hiking steep, steep mountains, trying to sled down these running, um, his father-in-law said, you know, this is harder than anything he'd ever done in the military. And it was one of those things where my goal was that Joe DeSena was going to fall over and not get up. Of course, he's going to get up because he always gets up, but he was going to actually like fall over because he couldn't take another step and he needed to rest. Well, it became so challenging and so difficult. They actually stayed at our home, ate dinner with us, and Joe fell asleep at the table with his head in the bowl of soup. His face down, head in the bowl of soup. Yep. 
And I was like celebrating. I got him. I got him. Like, you know, here's this <laughs> most resilient person thinking that nobody's going to knock me down. Nobody's going to get me down. Well, he went down with his head in the soup. And I'm sticking to that story. It's the truth. <laughs> We've uh, been friends, you know, ever since. I'm so proud and so inspired and encouraged by everything that Joe has done. Joe and Courtney and the family. And, you know, we went on to do our own races here in the Tetons. We put on some 100-mile races. And we just, our journeys kind of went a little bit separate. Um, I also did a bunch of adventure races myself, some eco-challenges, Raid Galois, participated in all those. Um, I'll give you another little thing about Joe. We decided we were going to do the Vermont 100 and then get on an airplane and fly to do the Badwater 135. So we finished the Vermont 100 on a Sunday, and Sunday night we're on an airplane to fly to Death Valley to start the Badwater 135 on a Monday, which we did, and we both did it. But then Joe had to throw something else on top of it, of course. The next weekend, he did Lake Placid Ironman. And I'm like, you know, you have to just one-up me, right? <laughs> wow. Um, so Joe's a pretty badass athlete himself and has done some incredible things. But I know now his big focus mostly is on getting other people to do those things. And and he's certainly doing so. So thank you for that, for that uh, background. Let's go back to you and, um, and, and your story of resilience. You, you mentioned you, you started coaching Joe. When, when did you begin this coaching uh, endeavor on yourself? You know, the coaching endeavor just, it definitely evolved. I, I coached some when I was in college. I coached some swimming, some diving. Um, I was actually an athlete most of my life. And it was proven to me as a kid, freshman in high school, when I tried out for the track and the cross country team, that I didn't make the team. And You know, the coach is like, Smith, you're not on the team. That was my maiden name. You're not on the team. And I was like, what? And I went home and told my mom, I said, you know, I suck. I suck. I'm not any good. I can't run. The coach says I'm no good. And I went with that for a long time. I went with that, that I was no good and I sucked for a long time. And it became so um, important to me. When I did, discovered, when I was in college, I ran a 5K turkey trot race, kind of by mistake. And I won the race. And I won a 20-pound turkey. And I was like, I don't suck after all. I went home for Thanksgiving with a 20-pound turkey. And I said, guess what, Mom? I'm, I can actually run. You know, I can actually do this. I can actually run. So I tell people my career started with a 20-pound turkey. Um, my running career, but it also put a fire under me about coaching of how nobody should ever tell anybody that they cannot do something. Um, I don't care what your age is. You never say you're not good enough. You can't do that. I mean, so I did, I started coaching and I've been coaching for 
40 years now that you could take somebody who can't run from, you know, the front of their house to their mailbox. And four years later, they could be state champions that don't ever tell somebody they can't do something. And that's how it started for me. And it's, I'm still telling people that and still believe that. And it's incredible what each of us are capable of. The possibilities are endless. Oh, that's wonderful. I want to touch some more on that on that in a minute, but I want to go back to you, you. You went from a coach telling you you're no good, you don't make the team, to then you run a a 5K after Thanksgiving, right? Because that's usually those the, the the turkey trots are right after Thanksgiving when you just won. You've eaten way too much the, the past couple <laughs> of days, right? And then you go to an eco challenge, which I, I was a big fan, you know, watching those eco challenges, you know, back in the back in the day when Discovery Channel had them. That's a big jump. I mean, it's I, the eco challenge, as, as I recall them, were were grueling experiences where not only you have to do all these unthinkable things, but you have to do them as a team, right? You have a team of people, and you have the navigator, and you have the, the leader, and you have all these different things. And you're in the wilderness, and and you're really pushing yourselves through the limit. Talk to me about that mindset of a 5K and then fast forward to an eco challenge and then beyond, right? Because that's, you didn't stop there. You, you kept going, right? So <laughs> what was going on inside you that kept telling you, uh, I need to go to the next level and then the next level and then the next level? Well, the fight, the 5K certainly put a fire under me, and I realized that I was angry. You know, I was really, really angry, and I was dealing with some things that created anger, and I'm not an angry person, but uh, it created like some, ugh, you know, like nobody's going to tell me I can't do that, and don't let anybody tell you you can't do that. Um, but I did go from like a 5K, and then I ran the 10K, and then I went straight to the marathon and then I went straight to the eco challenge. So I didn't do a lot of steps that I would coach people to do um, because I was just in this mindset of why not? Why not? I got invited to do the eco challenge and I thought, what's that? What is an eco challenge? I mean, it was the first one that was in 1995 and I had never ridden a horse like you got to ride a horse. I was like, what? You know, you've got a rock climb and repel and you're whitewater rafting and kayaking and hanging off mountains. This was a 350-mile eco-challenge in Utah through the desert. It was super hot. It lasted over 10 days. And it was a really challenging, <laughs> beyond challenging. We finished and I met some of my best friends of my life there that I still have as my friends because it was teamwork does make the dream work, but trust in others like they got your back. Leave no man or woman behind that we are all experiencing this, you know, together. And I learned that, you know, I'm a little bit of tough, 
I'm a little bit hard, but I'm also kind of soft. And you don't have to be like so hard, so hard. It's okay to be soft as well. Soft in your way, soft in your moving. And after we finished that first eco challenge, Marshall Ulrich, who's a good friend of mine still, incredible, resilient person you may want to speak to, he says, you ought to do bad water. And I'm like, what's bad water? And <laughs> the race director of bad water at the time, Matt Frederick, happened to be there at the Eco Challenge. So Marshall introduces me to Matt Frederick. And I said, well, what's a bad water? Oh, it's a 135-mile foot race through Death Valley in July. And I didn't even know where Death Valley was. You know, I hadn't ever heard of anybody running anything over 26.2 miles. I'd done Ironman races before that, you know, and never knew anybody ran further than that because that's kind of where my thought process was. Well, that was April, July. I was at the starting line of the Badwater 135. So I went from marathon to the Badwater 135. You know, and I asked Marshall, well, how do you train for this? I mean, what do you need? You know, run with a few extra clothes on and, you know, it's a little hilly. It's no big deal. You know, at the time, 1995, there's no website, maps, and all of these things to show you just what you're actually getting into. So when I talk about being spontaneous and the unknown of what you're getting into, that was a beautiful aspect of these challenges for me, the unknown. So I finished the Badwater 135, really cussing Marshall Ulrich out because, like, are you freaking kidding me? Another mountain pass to climb? I hadn't, you know, I come from flat New Jersey. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of where it's all started for me. And it's continued with the love of endurance, the love of challenge, and the love of, like, you know, I hear all the time from people, well, I used to be, I used to, I used to do this. And I'm like, what do you mean you used to? Are you, are you a used to beer? Yeah. Well, I used to run a 640, 50 miler. I used to run, you know, 18 hour hundred, but I can't run that fast anymore, but I can still participate. I can still do these things, but change is inevitable. And we don't have to be used to beers we can still be and we still are that person. Let me ask you a question. You mentioned, you mentioned a number of different things there. So you say the love of endurance, the love of challenge. I happen to believe that that is one of the things that is missing uh, in today's age because our society has evolved as a result of, uh, not as a result, but what are the outcomes of, of, of our modern society is, is seeking comfort, right? And, and everything uh, that you see around you is, it's about being more comfortable from the remote control to, to not get up and change a TV all the way down to Instacart, right? Where things get delivered to you 
um, from any or, or Amazon from all over the world. And it seems that we are losing our ability to love a challenge, to see the benefit in being challenged. In fact, we seem to be, in general terms, of course, and I'm talking very generically here, that we're running away from being challenged. Um, based on what your story, you know, you have your individual story of, of, of how you love, the, like you said, love of endurance and love of challenge, but you also have the coaching side where you're actually working with other people. Number Two questions. Number one, do you agree that that's something that we seem to be missing? And number two, do you think that we can teach that? We are absolutely missing that. I see, um, you know, people are choosing easy, easy, quick, simple. Um, and I believe that it's the hard things, the challenges that create growth. It's the hard things and the challenges that create a mindset of like, I want to do that. I want to do that. I mean, there's so much to do. It makes me literally sad to see so many kids sitting around. They're on their phones or on their, you know, they're, they're just not engaging in activity and they're sleeping in They're saying, you know, of course, high school kids, you sleep in, you do those things. But we, we, as my generation of people, we didn't have all that. It is up to us to keep encouraging and reminding people of what they're capable of doing in the physical sense. You know, your mind tells your body what it can do, right? And once your body's doing what it can do, your mind is shifting. Like you can do hard things and hard things are so fun because in the end you're celebrating like, wow, I did that. I didn't think I could do that. And there's not a lot of celebrating in easy. You know, I changed the remote. Oh, good. Honey, can you get up? No, I don't need to get up. I can turn the lights on from the airplane. I can do, you know, there's a lot of reasons to not get up. But getting up is one of the greatest keys to longevity holding yourself accountable. If you fall down, you get back up. And if you have a setback, it's a reason to make a comeback. We don't just keep sitting around looking for a simple way out because that's not living and that's not growing. That's not being your best version of yourself. You know, I, I like that, and I, I agree with you. So let me let me throw something at you and see how you how you respond. And see if if number one, if you if you have some idea of how to, how to go about this. And this is for for the audience. So I gave the example a few weeks back. Back, I was having a conversation uh, with a group of people uh, here in Lake Nona, and I can't even remember where the conversation was, but I came up with this example of of a baby, right? You have a baby that, that begins to, to crawl. And at some point the baby gets up, right? You know, he's assisted, you know, he gets up and he starts walking or she starts walking, right? And the baby starts walking. 
And inevitably what's going to happen after the first couple of steps is the baby's going to fall. Because mm-hmm. it's never walked before. You know, you start walking and you fall. And then in the spirit of the conversation we were having, which was a similar conversation that you and I are having right now, I said something to the effect of, have any of you ever met a baby that after falling one, two, three times concluded that, you know, this walking thing is just not for me. I'm done. You know, let's just call it a day. I'm just going to crawl forever because I keep falling. Right? So this well is just, put. This is not for me. You know, I'm done. And my point was that we are born with this spirit of resilience, right? We are born with this, this spirit of continuing to get up. And as a baby, guess what happens? You get up and then you start walking and you no longer fall. And then what does a baby do? It begins to run. And when it runs, guess what happens? It falls again. And sometimes it falls hard. But the baby again says, guess what? I'm going to get up and keep doing this, right? So somewhere along the line, we, we lose that. And what I wanted to ask you is, as a coach, you have to see that at some point. You must have had people that, as they're going through your boot camp or through your programs, they don't get to the point where they fall asleep on their soup. They just want to stop before. How do you keep people from stopping? Or if they have to stop, how do you manage that? How do you keep them engaged so that they don't completely demoralize themselves, which we tend to do when we start doing hard things? How do you keep them inspired? How do you keep them going? That is a long-winded question, but I <laughs> it's, it's really like what matters to you? What matters to you as a person? And when you decide what matters to you, my, I mean, the name of my company and business has always been Dream Chasers. Why? <clears throat> I'm a dream chaser. Find a dream and chase it down. Like literally chase it down. You can't just like, oh, I'm dreaming of climbing Mount Everest and show up at Mount Everest and think you're going to climb Mount Everest. There are action steps. There's a plan. And you may not be able to stick to the plan, but a coach is going to get your ass back on the plan. And if it's really important to you and if it matters to you, you will find a way or make one. And it comes down to being having courage, being persistent and sticking to your dream and the dream like you're chasing a dream whatever that might be through college or it doesn't have to be a physical aspect or a physical challenge it can be any kind of challenge where holding people accountable but also holding yourself accountable to you know i got a call from a student the other day Oh, coach, I've missed three workouts in a row. You know, I'm feeling like a failure. I'm feeling like this. I'm feeling like that. I said, you can't change what you did five minutes ago. Get out the door and get going. You know, you can't make up what you've missed. You can't make it up. You got to move forward. And, you know, a lot of people are busy trying to make up what they've missed with training or I've missed this, I've missed that. I'm so sorry to tell you that, We can't make those things up, but we could start over again. You know, people are constantly starting over again. 
I give them a lot of praise and a lot of credit and a lot of grace because, yeah, maybe you're doing that hard 75 challenge, which I'm doing right now on day 11, inspired by my 20-year-old daughter. You know what? My kids are watching what I'm doing. They're watching us. Parents, uh-uh. you inspire your children and they will follow what you're doing. So my 20-year-olds inspire me. I'm like, I'm on board 100%. Today's day 11, you know, and you got to follow through. And when you can't get up, reach out to somebody and get an accountability partner. There are so many ways to keep yourself going. You've mentioned a lot of interesting things there that I want to kind of put together and and, and get your, your thoughts on. You mentioned earlier in the conversation about being spontaneous and having an open mind and then leading into uh, a vulnerability, right? To embrace that vulnerability. I happen to believe I'm, I'm all on board with, you know, Brene Brown on, on, on the power of vulnerability and vulnerability being a strength and not a weakness. But then you also mentioned uh, grace, the grace of, of, of starting over, basically being kind to yourself, right? Not beating yourself up for the past, living in the present moment. If you, if you look back to, to, to your story as, as a competitor, not necessarily as a coach, but as a competitor, there must be, there must have been times where you had to do that with yourself, Give yourself that grace. Allow yourself to be vulnerable in front of yourself and in front of others as you hit a wall of some sort, right? Through whether it was an eco challenge or, a, or a, an Ironman or whatever. Is there, is there an experience that comes to mind, you know, that where that took place where you, you seemingly could not go further? But through the power of vulnerability, through the beauty of grace, through the beauty of being kind to yourself, you were able to use those tools to keep you going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, a lot of people and even myself, they'll say DNF did not finish, you know, DNF. Well, there's plenty of things I haven't finished. And it wasn't a DNF like, you know, I suck because I DNF'd. It was, I use MTRC, make the right choice, made the right choice. Sometimes in life, you're not going to finish. But you know what? You can go back and try again because you have the capability to do that or the mindset to do that. And I'll give you an example I was trying to do the bad water double out and back. You know, you do 135, you summit Mount Whitney, you come back and do, do it again. Well, I got up on the mountain to climb Mount Whitney and never had altitude sickness or problems before, but I got really sick. I felt super awful. I'd already covered, you know, 135 miles and I'm like, at a, you know, four miles from the top. Well, I had to go back down the mountain and here I am sitting, you know, just feeling awful, feeling like so bad about myself down and out like you, you know, blah, blah, blah. But physically I was not capable. So MTRC, 
I, it wasn't, I did not finish. I made a choice based on the rest of my life, you know, live to race another day, live to do something another day. Well, after two days, I went back and started over because number one, I had time, but I knew it was something I wanted to do. So, and I finished and I finished. So there are, there are all kinds of ways of giving yourself grace. Sometimes you're in the middle of something and you realize that safety is a concern. I mean, you always want to think about safety. It's not like I'm finishing at absolutely any, you know, whatever, you know, because no, you got the rest of your life to live. You have people who love you. And, you know, I say live to race another day, live to climb that mountain next week. But you don't just stop and sit on the sofa and eat a bag of chips and say, you know, feel sorry for yourself. You give yourself that grace for a day, but let's get going. We got another plan. There's always a carrot hanging out there. There's always something more to be done, whether it's for yourself or doing it with others, you know, a team or crewing. It's there's so much to be done in this life that, you know, I'm going to give you another example. People say to me all the time, you have more time than me. You have more time than me. I'm like, how do I have more time than you? You know, I have t- the same 24 hours a day to the very second that you have. I don't get one more second today than you get. So how do I have more time? I'm busy. I'm, you know, but you make the time, you create the time if it's important enough to you. And if you want to live a long, healthy, beautiful life, you will get off that couch and get your butt moving because that's how you're going to live a long, healthy life and live one of longevity and feel the best you can. I like that a lot. It's, it's, it's that idea that you said of, of, of continuing to remind yourself or tell your mind uh, of what can be done. And I'm, I'm really happy that you made, you made this, this comment about the MTRC, make the right choice, because I think it is a big misunderstanding uh, with people when it comes to pain versus injury, right? And having the, the presence of mind to know when I have to push through the pain versus now I'm really damaging myself if I keep going. And now I'm putting at risk, not just this event, but anything I could do, you know, beyond this event. And, and there's a fine balance between those two. It takes a lot of interoception. It takes a lot of knowing yourself and knowing your body and, and being honest with yourself to push through pain versus becoming conscious and aware and cognizant of the fact that my safety is no longer, uh, I'm no longer safe. I need to stop. I need to regroup, right? And, I, and I, I can imagine that, you know, you've done this for yourself, but you're probably doing that as a coach as well with, with, with the folks that you coach, you know, and, you know, to see that, you know, there must be something you see in their eyes or there must be something you see as they're going through that that says, you know, it's time to, to make a smarter choice. 
Absolutely. I'll give another example. I mean, I finished something uh, with a broken foot. Um, I probably should have stopped sooner, but the broken foot ended up needing surgery and it put me out for a long time. And it was, you know, at the time, my, my stubbornness to finish at any cost, like at any cost. And so that's where the growth has come in, not only for me personally, but the way that I coach people. I might get a phone call from somebody who's in the middle of a hundred mile race and they're vomiting and they're throwing up and they're, you know, they, they're just feeling terrible. And, you know, there's some questions you need to ask yourself as a person when you are in this situation. You're not a quitter. People don't line up at a hundred mile race or at an eco challenge saying, I'm just going to go five miles and then quit, you know? They start those, you start something with the mindset that, sure, I want to finish. I mean, what's your goal? Number one, I'd like to finish. Number two, here's a time goal. Number three, I want to win or however your goal is for yourself. But the number one goal is always to finish. But not everybody finishes. And that's okay because you, MTRC, you've made the right choice or you make the right choice, but you make the choice. Don't let somebody else make the choice for you. It's part of your growth in your life of making choices and taking action for yourself that, you know what, I'm so sick right now. I can't, I'm going one mile an hour. Do I keep trying or do I decide for myself, for my family? I got to work tomorrow. All these things that are happening outside of just where you are at that moment, where you take stock of yourself. And it's okay if you're not able to continue. That's the kind of coach I am now. It's not beat the crap out of yourself so that you're injured, need surgery on your foot, and you're out for six months, you know? So there are those types of coaches and people that at any cost, I am going to keep going. You know, David Goggins, stay hard, stay hard. You know, and I'll say, David, hey, man, it's okay to be a little soft, you know, and that's part of aging too. That's part of like aging and being a little smarter sometimes because you can always go back. You can always change your goal while you're in it. Let me ask you, do you, in your life, do you feel that these lessons, because every, everything you've said here, I mean, all I see is lessons, you know, lessons about resilience, lessons about not, uh, not thinking about being a quitter, lessons about making the right choice, lessons about vulnerability, growth, grace, starting over, getting up. You, you've been doing this for a long time. Do you feel like in your case, these lessons that are very mental and physical in nature have shaped you to become a better woman, a better wife, a better mother, a better friend, a better daughter? And, and if so, how? Because, and the reason why I ask this is because I, I have had conversations where people, people seem to feel like those two are actually detached. I happen to believe that resilience is just resilience. If your resilience, uh, 
If you if you have resilience in one aspect of your life, and you give yourself grace in one aspect of your life, you, that tends to permeate across. Has that been the case with you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it is truly all about grace and how you're going to love yourself. I mean, loving yourself and loving others, life truly comes down to one thing. I think love and love is resilience that I am going to be resilient in my love. And you have to love yourself enough first to, to come to that place. And it, it really, it sheds off in everything else you do in your life. You know, I still have a lot of hard things I'd like to do. Um, you know, I've got a big thing I'm working on for May that I want to do. Nobody's ever done it. And it'll be flipping hard. But why not me? You know, why not me? And I believe I can do it. I believe I can do it. So I'm going to give it a try. But if for some reason I can't do it, it's not like I suck. It's like, you know, sometimes it's just the way it goes. It's just the way it goes. I mean, how many people have started Spartan races that haven't finished? How many, you know, are they awful, terrible? No, they're going to go back and try again. And if they're not going to try that, they're going to try something else. But we have to be so graceful in our resilience of leading and guiding and teaching people that you are so capable of absolutely anything. You know, don't just look at somebody else who's doing something. You be that. You can do that, too. That's awesome. Well, Lisa, we, we are almost out of time. As always, you know, these kinds of discussions, time flies in the blink, yes. blink of an <laughs> eye. What would you like to leave the audience with as, as we wrap this up? I'd like to leave the audience with find your grace, find your passion, your purpose. It doesn't just arrive it takes time. It evolves. Be creative with your journey because it is your journey. And don't let anyone ever tell you you cannot do something because you can do absolutely anything. And strive for greatness. You can be average, good, or great. We can't be good at everything. We can't be great at everything. But it's up to us to choose those things that we want to be average, good, or great at. That's just wonderful. Keep moving forward, man. Let's do this. That's wonderful. Where can people find your work? Jeez, you can find me. Um, my website is www.dreamchasereventscom And it's way behind and needs to be updated. But I'm busy doing other things. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> That's wonderful. I'll well, get to Lisa, it when I can. That's right. That's right. That's it's, it's all about priorities. Well, Lisa, thank you. Thank you so much for making the time. This was enlightening for me. I'm inspired by your story. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to end this recording. I'm going to walk out that door and I'm going to talk to Joe because he told me that it was you who fell. You know, face first on your soup. <laughs> Look, I was cooking the soup. I was cooking the soup. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, hmm, 
I could send you a picture, maybe. I might be able to find one. No, oh. I did not. Follow. It was Joe that fell in the soup. All right, that's wonderful. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. I hope I get to meet you someday. Yeah, too. God bless. Thank you.